Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Appreciate, first of all, appreciate you all coming down whenever we do stuff like this. It means the world of us that we can come down and... and do this because you know just didn't seem like it was possible when we when we started this uh the idea of doing a podcast up three and a half years ago now mm, maybe it wasn't possible to do was it well do you want to get that in now before we start <laughs> <laughs> yeah Stephen was running to the megabus um probably from about where that Roma restaurant is, the back of that one, uh, towards uh, the Priestman building in Sunderland City Centre, and I could see his little bunce glistening in the distance with his bag over his shoulder. I made the bus by about a minute. As the megabus driver was tapping his watch, which is literally what was happening. And he actually said to us, it's not fair this, you get on the bus. So it's not fair. I could have buy a minute. What a compassionate megabus driver he was. So I'm just giving you. I was just giving. But you the reason this happened is because Stephen decided he would drive. He lives on Chester Road, right? If, who's from Sunderland originally, right? He lives on Chester Road, and he decided he would drive into town to go to Park Lane bus station, park his car. Rory, who came with us, came from Chillingham Road in Newcastle. I came from Hornley Spring. He's driving from Chester Road to Park Lane bus station to park his car to get a bus. I get massive bargain. It's about a mile away, <laughs> right? And what it is, to be fair, I normally, you know, where the idea house is. If I'm in a town, I normally park there, and they've fucking made it um, park at permit zones. <laughs> that was, that wasn't like that last exactly, week. They've just done that. That's why it went wrong, wasn't it? So because I drove down, then I had yeah. to drive back to practically next to where I lived, and then run down after that. Anyway, right. So the lesson is just walk to town from <laughs> if you live on Chester Road. If you right. need, a, if you need to get a bus to go to Manchester with other people who are waiting for you. Um, he would have been driving if we'd missed it, so, you know, it would have been him who would have paid the price. Never mind. Thanks for coming anyway, as I said, right? <laughs> what we'll do is... Um, where it's over after tonight, where, where, that's it. <laughs> where are those um, the bits of paper for, for people to write down oh, the questions? Oh, they're behind you, they're right. to your left-hand what, side. What we'll do is, in the interval, we'll, we'll do this, we'll keep going for, like, 20 minutes, half an hour or something, then we'll have a little bit of a break, and what we'll get you to do is just write some questions down for the second part, and then when, whenever we do the live podcasts... Um, this is what we always do, so that the, the second part of the show comes from you, really. So we encourage you to like think of questions and write them down, okay? Whether it be for just a panel about something in general, whether it's uh, whether it's specifically for Ben or it's up to it's up to yourselves. But that's what we'll do, and that's normally how we structure it, okay? So football cards as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. We I, I know I mentioned the football cards and some of you been coming in and putting your pounds in, but they're only like half full, so. If people can't come and just put a quid in for a team, we'll try and fill those cards out and there's the, some the, stuff there for you to the win. The prize bundle's a belt. I mean, it's three Christmas presents for people you don't like very much <laughs> for a quid when it's probably <laughs> worth about 60-odd quid for the three. So that's a pretty good deal. And that's a boot 
you're going to sign the book as well. So he's already already signed it, it, already. He's done a little logo on as well. With and they're they're available as well. If, if anybody would want to, to buy that tonight, Nick would sign one. Do you want to explain what it is, Nick, the book? Uh, it's my, basically my matchbook being produced as a box of 38 cards of last season's Premier League campaign. That's it in a nutshell. Yep. 15 quid tonight. <laughs> I'm knocking three quid or four quid off it. Has anybody seen this before on Twitter, Nick, how Nick preps his preps for the games and stuff like yeah, it's that. It's my prep for the games yeah. basically. There's nothing been, wrong with him. Which has it's been just have you seen it? It's just not it's just what he does. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you could sell it a little bit better than that, Nick, but never mind. <laughs> All right. People we want people to put the quid in, man. Right. Sorry, yeah, put a quid in because you can win the book. It's brilliant. Right. It's fantastic. What we did was we we've obviously we, we do live shows at where we live in, in, in Sunderland and stuff and then we did one in London in the summer which went really well and then we asked people what the thought, where we could go next, and people said Manchester, so here we are. They are, they are some empty seats. It'd be like the stadium of like next year when we get relegated. <laughs> it's fine. Or this year. It's yeah. all out. But they're not well, pink, not are they? No, well, the club, are, you know, at yeah. least they get rid of the pink They seats. are faded, so you're a bit scratched. Not fa- fully faded. And those at Bournemouth seats are even pinker than Sunderland's. Yeah, uh, yeah, the word. Did you see yeah. that? Did anyone yeah. go to Bournemouth? Do you see the colour of the seats? They're even, they are, they're even well, well, faded. Stoke, they're even faded than Sunderland's. Stoke, they are a place in theirs. Must be a job lot, like an offer on. Someone sent an email around. Yeah, it stopped. <laughs> so naturally what we did, because it was Manchester, we were thinking, right, who can we ask to come down? Because the London one, there was just myself, Gareth, Rory and Craig went down, really, wasn't it? Barry Glendon did the uh, Oh, yes, sorry, of course. And Barry Glendon came down. So what we thought was, who can we get for the Manchester one? And everybody knows that Gary Bennett's from Manchester. We so it seemed, rock, it, seemed like, it seemed like an obvious choice to make. And luckily for us, he's... He's came down, which he's probably regretting when he uh, when he came to meet us in the ho- in the apartments to stay. Well, he's staying in the room with you. So. Well, exactly. <laughs> and I've got a key. Yeah, he has got a key. <laughs> and he's, already thre- he's already threatened us with that once yeah. as well. What we'll do is before we just talk, on, we'll we, we'll start talking about Sunderland um, generally about where we are, what we think. Just a bit like a normal podcast, but I thought um, Ben or we. We'd start because you're from this area, and I, I don't know whether people are just here now because they work here, they're from here, the family down here. But because you're from the area, I just thought we'd start by you just sort of saying, telling people like where, where exactly you're from, how you got into football. And I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> they don't want your address, but you know what I mean. What I will do, I will show you later on if you want to come with me. Why didn't we all just stay at your house? Why yeah. were well, forking out 200 quid? You can come as well, moment. Gareth, if you want. Thanks very much. You fancy it? <laughs> I do now. Okay. <laughs> you can come along with me later on, and I shall introduce you to my sister. Okay? <laughs> he is married, Gareth, by the way. It's okay. <laughs> and we'll have a good night out down the moss. <laughs> Isn't that what Shameless is being? You, you, you won't stand out, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get the feeling what I felt like when I first went to Sunderland. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody would be looking at you, thinking, what's that? (laughs) I get that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But no, as I said, um, I was born and bred in in Manchester, and uh, if you would have said that I would have ended up playing for Sunderland, I would have thought that you was from a different planet, but... Um, my first experience of obviously coming up against Thunder was in the Youth Cup, believe it or not. Um, I was at Manchester City as a young lad and um, we played Sunderland in the Youth Cup and it was the furthest trip I've been to and it was the coldest place in the world. 
it was an eye opener. But we went on and um, we beat Sunderland one nil. And uh, obviously, I left Manchester City, and got released as a as a young lad, and I went to Cardiff for three years. And um, I worked under Len Ashurst. Well, he was there as a manager, and um, Sunderland was struggling. And Len got a call. <coughs> You're laughing. It's a shock. <laughs> Nothing's changed, does it? I'm going back, back in when? 1983, 1984. Sunderland was struggling. They still are. We haven't been able to solve the problem. And uh, Len got the shout to manage Sunderland. And uh, he tapped me, tapped me up and said, uh, I'll come in and sign you. So that's how I've ended up in Sunderland. And, uh, well, it's my home now. Len Ashurst came on the show, actually, didn't he, on the Inter Light Show once, and he told us that when he signed you, he actually went after your brother first. (laughs) (laughs) That would most probably be right, because he was a forward, like, you know, and I think when he signed me, he wanted to sign my brother as well. He he wanted to sign a bottle for us, um, but my brother went to Coventry um, just before me, um, signed for Coventry City. Um, scored in the FA Cup final. He scored in the FA Cup final, um, and that's something which he's got over me as well. He keeps <laughs> rubbing that one in as well. He's got a winner's medal where I've got a loser's medal as well. Not bitter, I'm not bitter. <laughs> it doesn't come up. But, uh, so, you, you've, so you've been a Sunderland this whole time, Gary, and you've, you've seen how football changes and all that stuff. What do you think about clackers? People taking clackers in the stadium. That's not wrong with them, is there? Is it not? Does anybody, would anybody... There was a, there was a comment, that someone put a tweet out last week, I was telling you earlier, wasn't I? Someone put a tweet out about that, and they said, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to out-cringe whole city? <laughs> Does anybody in here think clackers would be a good idea? Raise your hand. You won't be lynched, I promise. <laughs> Nobody? The drums idea got knocked on the head, to, for a better, want of a better expression. Um, yeah, it deserves uh, a round of applause, that'll be honest. Yeah, the drums idea has been knocked on the head. Yeah, um, and yeah... Would anybody, would out, anybody have actually entertained? are coming back out, though, aren't they? Clackers, isn't it? Clackers, yeah, the clackers, clackers are happening. Charlie Hurley day. The Charlie Hurley day. Charlie Hurley next, next well, Saturday, isn't it? Hot against the hole. Yeah, no, but, but what, would anybody have actually entertained the idea of drums in the stadium? Not within 50 yards. Of not even the ground. No, well, there you go. It was a weird one, that one, but that got knocked on the head in about 12 hours. So. Well, what are they going to do? Put clackers on the seats? Yeah. Well, I don't know what the point of it is anyway. Like, isn't it got, has it got like Charlie Early's name on it or something? Isn't that what they're saying? Mm, Why don't you know. just hold I cards just up? We could do like a mural of Charlie Hurley on the, in the East End. Oh, great. But no, we'll just have clackers instead. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Hull go three up after five minutes. Won't it? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> just getting, getting on to the football um, to, to where we are now. I mean, this was nearly a disaster for us coming here. This has been booked for ages and we nearly came without a win in the season. We, we did a live podcast, didn't we, after the Everton game. So that was... No, after the Chelsea game. After the Chelsea game, before the Everton game. And we haven't won, we hadn't won since before last week. And we've done a live show in London. Mm-hmm. We've had yeah, yeah. weeks and weeks of doing podcasts, going without a win. Is there a danger, Gary, Nick, I don't know what you think. Um, how did you see the Bournemouth victory? Was it paper over cracks, or do you think we've given ourselves a chance? Um... To be brutally honest, it papered over a lot of cracks because Brilliant. On the <laughs> on the day could have won it 6-7-2. Um, the number of chances they had, Pickford was outstanding. We've played better this season than lost, though. Yeah, yeah and I, but I, I think what came out of it mostly, most for me was that they just stuck in. They actually did look like they wanted to be out there and, and 
for that, you know, they were, I mean, Nietzsche was the sort of possibly the, um, the player that illustrates it best because he just, you know, when he took his shirt off at the end and there's that great white bandage on his, on his chest and just thought, well, you know, that was it really. That was the epitome of what they did at Bournemouth. They just got stuck in regardless of what Bournemouth were throwing at them. Rode their luck, but sometimes you, know, you make your own luck. And the, 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 you know, the luck that ran away from them in other games, West Ham at the end of the game, a few, a few other games, mainly down to sort of just awful defending. But at Bournemouth, some of the bad defending was papered over because they just got stuck in. They put bodies where they should be. Um, they just had a belief that they were going to get some sort of result. You know, once they got their, their nose in front, I think this time they were determined to keep hold of it. Whereas, you know, early this season they were too brittle, they were too fragile, um, and I don't think they had the mentality earlier in the season to have, to have battled the way they did at Bournemouth. And it was more about their mental attitude to try and win that game, I think, than anything else. I, I, and I mean, I, I totally agree because I was there, and I know that I said on 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 our last podcast that. Even when Bournemouth were having those chances, I just had a feeling we were going to see it out because the players looked determined. What happens, Benno, with a group of players? And each of you had come out and said, more. it's the hardest Moyes has been on them all week. They went to Nissan and stuff, didn't they? They had a, a team bond and night and they went bowling and stuff. What happens with a group of players to go from a team who look like so disinterested that when they concede a goal, they collapse to saying, we're not going to lose today? Because it's not an easy place to go up Bournemouth either. It's not an easy place to go, but again, it's, you know, we talk about habits. And unfortunately, Sunderland have got a, a bad habit of losing games, you know. And I think that just summed it up when we played um, Crystal Palace. You know, when you're winning 2-0 and you concede a goal and then you could see, you know, the body language of the players that they weren't going to hold on. You know, they were going to get the best they could have got out of it was a point. But they went on and lost the game. Um, and, you've, you know, you have that sort of habit of losing games. You know, you have teams who win games. You know, somehow the win games, but hopefully you can turn the corner. You know, again, you make your own look. You know, you look at Bournemouth, they never had the shooting boots on. You know, two weeks before that, they hit somebody, they beat Hull City 6 1. You know, unfortunately, it was one of them days where, you know, Jordan Pickford was outstanding. The ball went on the wrong side of the post, and unfortunately, but it'll, be worth, it'll, be, it'll be worth absolutely nothing if they don't beat Hull. Because the Bournemouth game has transformed, you know, it's, it's, it's changed the landscape in the sense that they're suddenly now within points, six points, okay, it still seems, you know, a, a significant amount to claw back. But if they beat Hull and the results elsewhere go their way, three points suddenly looks manageable. You think, actually, you know, you could actually get, get over that line and, and get yourselves, haul yourselves out of trouble. But if they do as they've done in the past, turn up against Hull and lose to them, you just think, well, what was the point? What was the point of all that effort at Bournemouth if you can't carry that in to a home game against probably the worst team in the Premier League? We talked about that before the last second worst team in the Premier League. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Swansea were going to be bottom. that crown from us. Swansea would have been bottom had they not scored that that goal against Man United, and they would have been bottom of the league. And I mean, after the start, their, of the league, their shitness has gone under the radar a little bit, <laughs> hasn't it? Yeah, but you know, we're talking about it on the on the show, and it's weird. It's you do tend to dwell on defeats more, don't you, than victories? Because the victories are so few and far between, it's nice. And then all of a sudden you're thinking ahead to the next game. Well, like Nick's saying, it doesn't count for anything if you don't win the next game. It's nice to have a fortnight to, yeah. to savour a victory. At the same time, you always you think, I was thinking about over the last four years, the amount of times we've gone into games and gone, oh, we have to win this game. 
We'll this, is the, that, this, this, is with, this is the problem. This is the problem with every, home every games. time. Every time you win a game, you can't enjoy it because you're worried that it's not going to count for anything. But we've seen it so often so at the Stadium of Light. I, I guess the question is, what's the point? You know, yeah, <laughs> it is. <But laughs> what is the point? The thing is, is what shall we say? David Moyes played in it. Do you think it was David Moyes or was it the players? Do you, Gary? Be- because at the, at, at, the, at the end of the day, if Jack Rodwell was fit. And Nietzsche B wouldn't have played. Do you reckon? Is that no, he wouldn't have played. He wouldn't have played. I was absolutely... So, so, you look, so, so you look on it that because Jack Rodwell was injured, they never had any more experienced players to play. So to put a Nietzsche B in, which gave us a little bit more, shall we say, presence up front and attacking-wise up front. And then we put Paddy McNair on the left wing. But overall, the lads battled because all of a sudden you've got somebody up there who's putting himself about. And all the other players responded off that. And we was a little bit more positive bid having two forwards. And I think that eased a little bit of pressure off um, Jermaine Defoe. I think he looked at his um, body language. He's not fighting with a big centre-half who's six foot four all the time. All of a sudden, he could feed off the bits of Anichabi. Now, with that, you know, we, the, the players went on and obviously they seen it and they grew with confidence and went on and won the game. Now, was that David Moyes or was that the players themselves? But I think the other thing, last weekend, Moyes had a meeting with Ellis Short and Martin Bain. So it's quite clear, whilst they're backing him, I mean, it's not, he's not going anywhere. The, the message has come through, you, you know, you've got, to, you've got to win a game. Now, Moyes is... He's just one, just, just one, the yeah. one, and then we'll, we'll you know, give it a few weeks. Is, is by and if you can get a draw, it, it, you know. But his character is, is he is naturally um, cautious. He always has been. He was at, at Everton. So I think that meeting, in a sense, forced his hand to a degree. He knew he had to go into the Bournemouth game and actually be a bit more aggressive in the way he I lined mean, up the, the team. The, the ironic thing about Anishabi is, is because we... He's been shocking a little bit in the transfer market, whether it's Moyes or the people above him. And that's not a criticism of him to, to put him ahead of anybody else because every manager we've had has been shocking in the transfer window, haven't they, since, since Steve Bruce left, I would say. But the ironic thing is, is that Anitra be out of all of those signings we did bring in, you would have looked at that and, said, and thought that was the laziest signing or somebody's played with before. Well, yet, it's him who's, yet it's him who looks like well, he's, tur- he's, turned, well, Pino's, he's turning things Pino's around. Pino's probably been the best signing, I mean, in one sense, because he, he's the one player that... Really? Yeah, I think I think Pienaar, You look at the way he's played, and when Pienaar's on the pitch, the way he holds the ball, plays the ball, it's Pienaar that in the team meeting was the one that stood up and gave everybody a bollocking. It's Pienaar that pulled that team together the other week. It's Pienaar that comes out and says, "Look, this isn't good enough. There are shirkers in this team. There are slackers in this team." It's him that's put. In, he put his so head does that show parapet. how far we've sunk? Then this is a guy who couldn't get a game for Everton last season at all. Whether just have shows a good, it's, didn't I, have a good I, season at all. Not necessarily. I think it shows that you know what the, the, the team, the eleven is, is lacking is experience. You know, look at the way John O'Shea. Everyone was slaughtering him last season, but everyone was crying out for him to come back in this season. He comes back in, and there's a little bit of stability because O'Shea's in there organising, and that's because you've got Pinar in there now organising. You've got experienced players in there. You know, there is a correlation with getting experienced players back into the into the into the eleven, and Nietzsche B, by every, even by David Moyes' admission, is a bloody nightmare. Him and, and Yanuzai, he said, the two players you've got to get in their heads, and you've got to try and convince them that they're footballers. The problem with Nietzsche B is you've got that performance with him at Bournemouth, 
There's odds on he will not do that again for another three months. Don't bring the mood down, Nick. That is what a Nietzsche be is. I know, but it's, in, it's interesting to see what your expectations are in it, really. You know, Nick's just mentioned about Pina and your questioning, is he a good player or not? You know, and then you're looking at maybe Sunderland supporters overall and you're asking, what do you think is a good player? Messi. You know, I mean, well, Messi. But it's interesting that, that we, you know... We got thrown that question. Who do you think was our best player over the last five years? Well, this is it. Over the last five years, that, consistently. Catamore has to be. Catamore, shit. Okay, right. But when, okay, it came up, when the question came up, then so, it's So you said Catamore. Five or six players came up. Nobody okay. could nail one player. No, somebody said Catamore. Somebody said Defoe. Somebody said Ben. Whatever it is. But you couldn't really say, he's our outstanding player. Now you're hanging your hat on Lee Catamore as being our best player. Who? In the Premier League. Who? So that, a, just shows, a... that just shows the level or the standard where we're at, that we think that Lee Catamore, no disrespect to him, <laughs> is our best player. And the fear now... Why? Why? ...is that Catamore's come to the end no, of his No, I'm asking years. you why. Come on, Gareth. Six years. <laughs> why, why is he, what, no. what does he do to make him the best player? Um, well, over the last six years, I think, you know, obviously he's had his problems with the injuries, but generally, I think when he's in the team, you know, he, he brings Go. drive, he gets the best, by being in that side, I think he, As a he offers the opportunity to, 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 for, for other players, he makes other better players than him better than they are, I think, and, and also, I think, his, his use of balls underrated, I think, some of the balls that he plays, attacking. So you think he's a good passer of the ball? Yeah, I do, yeah. Does I everybody do agree with that? I th- look, I, th- I think the issue. See, I th- so that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. Is it, it's all about opinions, and it all depends on where you pitch yourself in regards of. He's a good passer of the ball compared to, I don't know, I mentioned maybe um, John Joe Shelby. We use him as an example. <laughs> who's you know, he's a good. Pa- you think he's a you know? All right, we'll use Jordan Anderson. <laughs> Jordan Anderson is a good passer of the ball. Yeah. Is Lee Catamore better than him at passing the ball? Well, I don't know, probably not. But it depends well, what you... that, That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. the level which, which we pitch ourselves in regards of what we think or what we believe is a good player. And I think I think, the, 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 I think what Ben was driving at on some level as well is something we mentioned as well is that it says something, doesn't it, that that all these years and all these millions and millions and millions and millions of managers have wasted. Sullen fans are looking at O'Shea, Catamol, yeah. Larson yes, to come to come back into the team. But this is the point: it's never, the, quality the, the, quality, I mean, the quality of the squad has never—it's been consistently poor. It's been consistently bad, and it's going to be the same this season in January. The point we were making about the question—the reason the question was asked about name the best player—it came down to the nub is that we are still looking for a player to replace Kevin Ball in central midfield. Now, how many years ago was that since he last played? Since Bali? There's never, never been a replacement for Kevin Ball. They've never what, nailed What about McCann and, and Rear? And but they, it, in terms of... Lawrence Sarna. Lawrence lasted a season, didn't he? Lasted a season. Now, James Hunter on the Cron went back over the 46 signings since Steve Bruce. Only three of those 46 were sold on for more money than they were well, bought. Well, let's, let's bring it back to... The, that's, the, that's, why, that's where they've been shopping. They've been shopping in, 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 a, in a... 
let's bring market, it back to which is just bringing poor quality to, to where club. we are now, though, and, and, and looking at yeah, we're talking. So over the last six years, who's your best player? You know, whoever who like you say in Benoit's subjective, right? But if you look at the situation in the last year, and you look at that window in January, and then you look at Kone, and you look at Kazri, and you look at Kershaw, and we were all saying, "Blimey, we've done well here. These are good." And then when we finished against Everton on in May, if somebody had said to me when we lined up against Middlesbrough that our central midfield would be Stephen Pienaar, Lyndon Gooch, and I can't even remember who the other one was, <laughs> then I think I'd have either... Then we were well, I would have gone to the hospital we're looking or at sent that person to hospital. No, no it's, not, it's not about that, but, but, but what we're talking about is... When we've had an opportunity this season to build on something that was there, it feels as though that we've we've decided because Alli- what happened with Allardyce has happened, we're going to implode, and we haven't controlled that situation. We haven't gone right, Kazri. We need to try and get. F- he needs to try and find a way to get the best out of him because he was excellent last season. Corney, a difficult situation. I kind of empathise with Moyes on reflection because he's probably thought, you know what, if I let this bloke go now, they're going to. You know, I want the one that's home. And, to and let's be honest, when Co- we all said at the time, like the seller needs to stop, you have didn't to, we? You have to. Well, well, Coney, I think, I think all fans wanted Coney, him to stay, didn't they? Coney's head is just, it, it might as well be on Mars at the minute. This is Coney, whose agent turned up at Southampton on the day of the game, and for an hour and a half is having a raging row with David Moyes before the game, and Moyes is trying to persuade Coney to play. He only persuades Coney to play at half past one. This is after they've had this massive. This has been recorded, by the way. So. Yeah, that's fine. No, I think <laughs> this, is, this is, you know, I don't think there's any. Uh, you know, I don't think Moyes would, in any way, shape, or form, be disappointed that came out because he the, 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 the whole the whole <laughs> <laughs> the whole William Mackay uh, and the Mackay's handling of Kone this summer has been an absolute disgrace. I mean, I know the club, Martin Bain, David Moyes, have basically been driven to despair by the manner in which the agents dealt with Kone. There's no way. There's no wonder. Kone's wandering around at the moment with his head in a, you know, another planet and a different place. It's coming out gradually, these things are dripping out, but <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> but I mean, Kirchhoff, Kirchhoff is another one. I mean, Kirchhoff, yeah, he's great when he's playing. But you know, did nobody, it was sort of slightly raised last season. How come he never made it into Bayern Munich's first team? How come he's only played six games in the last three years? Well, we know now why. Because he's got this chronic hamstring problem. So all these players that were signed were signed, you know, in more or less in desperation. So then did Allardyce get lucky? Yeah. Yes. Was that what we're yeah, saying? Because I, yeah, I, I remember did. I asked at I the time, did did I, I suggested in, in the summer that Allardyce got lucky and I got a lot of... I think he did. Mm, I mean, I'm not sure about that, but I now... Think I think you, you said it down in London and you might have even got booed, actually. I think I did get booed. In front well, of that was, that wasn't, I don't think I said that. Was but then you need that bit of luck. You got that slice of luck and it worked for him. But saying that, when you say he's lucky... His man management was good Ooh. because all of yeah. a sudden he started to get Patrick Van Aanholt to defend. Well, would you have he got, got the be- he got the best out of Kone? He got he gets the best out of the likes of Kazri. Now you look at Kazri. For me, he doesn't look fit. He doesn't look fit. You know, he doesn't look interested at all. You know, he's just running around. You're thinking, what's going on there? So something's you know, whatever Sam done, man management. He got the best out yeah. of the players. All of a sudden, we were hard to beat. Everybody knew the jobs. Patrick Van Anhart had to defend. You know, that's what he was told to do. Cohen Aid was defending. You know, he knew where the forwards, you know, the likes of Jermaine Defoe was leading the line. 
you know, you've got the best out of players, but that's down to man management. I agree. Like I've said before, like about that's one of my criticisms of Moyes that he hasn't got. When you're at Sunday, you're not going to be working with, like we talked about going back to PNR and how your argument might have been the best sign that we made in the summer. You've you've got to get the best out of what you got. You've got to get players who play to a certain level playing above that. And I don't think I think Moyes not only. But then is he got that performance out of Nietzsche. I'm not being an apologist. Yeah, for but that was. But no, but he's I'm got saying, performance out of Nietzsche. But that was what, Yeah, but why isn't he started him before that? Because if he's he not just, capable. He just, of because he's, yeah, he is caught. Yeah, I mean, but, but then that, but it, that, that's his decision has, when it comes back on has him. Has Nietzsche Nietzsche's performance against Bournemouth made him? As undroppable as it possibly gets for a player. It probably now. has, and it's, can, can, and it's can, actually can, put a lot. Of, it's put the ball in, in each of his court now because of all the comments he made afterwards I mean, about there's, how there's committed not, he is and so on. He's got to do that again. Never now. in a million years can he not play now against Hull, can he? Well, he can, but be injured. Do you think? Do you think well, so? Well, do you think that could happen? Yeah. Well, if Catmull's fit, he might go yeah. back to three. Well, if Catmull and Kershaw are fit, he, he's, he's got to go back to three. McNair can't. Catmull might be fit. Like you can't play McNair again because he's, you know. Well. No, but like it needs to be right now. You no, don't like Matt Nair, do you? We've been um, we've <laughs> been talking, we've been talking on the pod lots about how even before the bomb came about how to get Nietzsche being the team. And as obviously you, know, you don't even expert to know that Jermaine Defoe so isolated by himself, as Benno pointed out earlier on, he's getting bullied by players who are a lot bigger than but him. David Moyes so he also needed knows, some sort of help. He also knows the problem with Jermaine Defoe playing on on his own up front is they've had a tendency to try and cross or play long balls up to him, and Benno's always picking this up. And, and Moyes accepts, what is the point? There's no point in trying to get a player up to play set pieces and crosses into Jermaine Defoe because he's four foot three or whatever he is. And it's, and it's just, you know, you do not play to get him to play, you know, heading, heading the ball. So they've got to try and change the tactics to a, to a degree. But, but my but argument, we've we, we talked about this before it. and I was saying, you know, you know what, if, he, if the players are scared, uh, well, not scared, maybe that's the wrong word, but if they're panicking in a situation and they're looking for an out ball, He's got to react going, you know what, I can't play this way. I'm going to have to put somebody in who's going to be able to hold the ball. Like like Allardyce did with um, and, um, and Doy. Played him, from the, played him from the left, played him from the right, wherever, and said, right, he's an outlet. So I've got somebody there. To, if somebody panics, I've got somebody to hit. And, and I get what you're saying. Like, it's all very well saying to the players, don't do that. But if it continually happens, he's going to have to say, well, these are the players I'm working with. This is what they're going to do. I'm going to have to change my team to accommodate because... If they can't, if he can't, if they can't do what he wants them to do, you know that that's what he's got to work with, and I don't think it's going to get any better in it's January. Get, it's, it's, he can't. Uh, players like Undong at the minute, he says himself, David Moyes, that he cannot get through to him. He just he tells him one thing. He seems to do something completely different. He says there seems to be complete communication. Money well spent then. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> seem to be able to get through to him at all. Coney record signing. Sort of, uh, well, it wasn't a record signing, but there, there's all sorts of. He's got issues with communication with these players as well. I mean, it's at the moment, you know, they're at the sort of the worst case scenario because <laughs> the players that they've got aren't good enough. They're, they're bottom of the Premier League. They can't, you know, they've one win in whatever it is, 65 million years. It's like, it, it, it's, you know, it doesn't look good. And odds on, they probably will go down. But I think, you know, the the crux is now, it, it's like, we can debate all day long about the quality of the squad. It's whether... You know, do you get rid of a manager? Do you change it again? Or do we just bite the bullet now? You stick with the manager and you say, right, we, we're going to go down this road of 
sticking with someone for the next three years and let's just see if we can rebuild think, this football club. I think that's really interesting and, 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 and it's, it's right what you're saying, that anybody would look at Sunderland in their situation and say, right, no, you need to stick with the manager. And Moyes has his experience, give, you know, puts credit in the bank for him, doesn't it, that he should be given a chance It's, it's stuff. not just on the playing but, side, but, it's changing the whole yeah, dynamic but, of the yeah, club. It's everything okay. you're doing behind And that's the fair enough. But what I would say is, and Ben, I'd like to know what you think, is because while all that's well and good, at what point do you have to think about what's happening on the field every week? Because before the Bournemouth game, it was questionable whether the players looked like they were interested. Now, was that down the manager? Have you have you been in a dressing room before where you're not where you're not inverted commas playing for the manager before? Does that happen, or is it a myth? Um, it can happen. Um, obviously, you only can select eleven, so the rest of the squad won't be on there. But how does it happen? Do, do people does it just happen subconsciously, or do people have a discussion about it, or what? I think when you look around, I think there's certain players in, 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 in football clubs who have, shall we say, certain, shall we say, standards and powers, which, you know, what they ever do, the others will follow. And again, if certain players are not in the team, you know, they've got that, shall we say, strength and communication to speak to the other players and they'll follow, follow suit with them. And well, that say, can't be right this season because we don't have any players out of the team, who, unless they're injured, who, who are any good, so... No. What, it is, what, what happens is that when you look at the, shall we say, the starting eleven, when a team has been named, um, you know, and there'll be certain players who, who will be in the team and they'll be thinking, I can't believe you picked him again. Or he's in the team. Rodwell. Jack. So, <laughs> you know, but, you you Rodwell's thinking that. I'm in again. <laughs> it, it happens. It happens. You know, there'll be certain players in the team and they're thinking, especially if they're picked before them as well, you know, they'll, they'll have the say. And they'll be thinking, well, I can't believe he's playing. You know, it's like, shall we say, Julie Bodju is playing centre-back. And people are saying, oh, it's only about time before he, he's come out and John O'Shea has got to go in. You know, but week after week, he kept picking him. You know, for instance, Jack Rod- Rodwell. You know, people keep thinking, no, keep picking him each week. And people are thinking, well, what does he do? Now, that sort of rubs off onto the rest of the lads in the, in, in the squad. Because if you're a midfield player... And Jock Rodwell is being picked, <laughs> selected before you. You're thinking, well, there's none of them left at the moment. I think he got dropped, he got bombed out completely, didn't he? Who did? Rodwell. He wasn't even on the bench for long. He's injured. He's got no, on. no, not recently. A few like back earlier in the season, he got. He wasn't even on the bench, and I think then we got a lot of the injuries, and he's had to come back in because we've got nobody left. Um, so I mean, David Moyes doesn't rate Jack Rodwell. That's by his own admission. Mm. He doesn't. He doesn't rate him as a player. I wonder why he's underperforming then. And he didn't rate him <laughs> at Everton as manager. Well, there. he couldn't believe the money but he got for him. They, that, Manchester that was City. It. You know, <coughs> when Manchester City put that bid in for him, was it ten million? Was it fifteen? And he was it forty months. He couldn't believe it. I can't believe it. Um, but I think. Can you remember how happy you were when Jack Rodwell signed yeah, for us? Yeah. By the way, we would. Everyone like, was like, "That's a great sign on that." Yeah. Jesus. How many times have we said because, that? Because, <laughs> because, because at Everton, the qu- Jack Rodwell, even at Everton, had a questionable temperament um, and whether he actually wants to be a footballer. And that was when he was, what age, at Everton? They knew that about him, and it's the same problem they've got with him now. Does he actually you know, really you know, want to be a footballer? The thing about Rodwell is he always gets wheeled out as well in the, to do the post-match because obviously nobody else fancies it. So Rodwell comes out and goes on about how long you know I think the point uh, in all this. Sorry, I think the biggest thing which I found, and I think Nick as well, and spe- especially speaking to Martin Baines as well, 
in regards of the football club itself is the thing that it's lost its way. You know, you've got players who, who come into the club and don't understand the ingredients of the club, what Sunderland's all about, what the supporters are all about. You know, they come in and they think, and that's it, they think they can go out on the field and whatever. They don't understand what it means for the supporters. Tell us, tell they us, don't Gary, understand about we, we, we know this. It's, something, it's probably something fans of every team see us. No, this play, it's no, 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 but what I'm saying is, yeah, so I'm about to ask you. So what I'm saying is, like every but you don't have ev- to throw someone every week. No, no, but every everybody says when a, a player says for York, oh, he gets what it means to be a, a player for this team or that team. At Sunderland, there is this thing when players come and say it is different. You're not from the northeast, Gary. So tell us what it tell us what it is and, and what they don't get. I think one thing which Sunderland supporters want is somebody who puts in a hundred percent. Even if you, you know, you're not the best talented player, but as long as you're going to roll your sleeves up and graft, as long as you do that, they can hold their hands up and think, right, he's done it. You know, but there's so many players who come into the club and you can look at the body language and it's a different, it's a different mentality of playing in the North East and playing in London or Birmingham or even Manchester. You know, there's one thing, especially in the North East, you're either black and white or red and white. No matter where you go, on a Monday morning, the first thing you talk about is football. Everybody talks football. You can't get away from it. No matter where you go, restaurants, um, a theatre, wherever you go, everybody will know and they want to talk football. And you've got to be prepared for that. And you've got to understand what it means. Can, it, can anything be done to prepare players? Yes. And there's something which we're looking at. You know, when you, do, when you do buy, when a new player comes into the club, I think it's, in, it's important that maybe a next player or somebody goes along to meet and greet the player and, and make him feel welcome into the club and tell him what the club's all about, what the supporters are all about and get him to find his feet. You know, the, the ball is still on the payroll. Uh, I know, but you need, listen, you need more than Bawley. <laughs> okay, you know, Bawley can't do everything. No. You know what I mean? But what, was, what I'm saying what is I mean that... Is, well, he'll use, tell you he what, can. What I mean? <laughs> he'll tell you he can. <laughs> what I mean is, could they use... Could they, as an example, could they use someone like that to get them involved yes, in the recruitment? Definitely. That's what I mean. Yes, definitely so. But you've got to remember when you know a new player comes into the football club, what happens? He comes in, he signs, and then he goes and lives in Darius Hall. You know, is that an issue? Well, it is. Because yeah, they don't not, have that connection with the fans. They don't have yeah? a connection with the fans. They don't have a connection with the area. They come, they, they come to the training ground, the academy, they train on match days, they jump on a plane, fly to the, fly to the game, fly back, back over to Darisol. What connection do they have with the football club or the area or with the people? Well, I guess, he, I guess you know, that's not just the case of Sunderland, is it? But I, I guess what you're saying is but it's Sunderland, it's important. Yeah, it's important. The North East yeah. is different. Yeah. That's what it is. So, never, so, but you know what's the I funny thing is, though, you look at uh, the reaction uh, in each of his performance, and as you know, I can't imagine if if you were a player and you see that reaction, this is somebody who's come in who's done nothing for eighteen months, or well, probably longer, and he comes to Sunderland, he has a spat, he has that Twitter issue, then he has a spat, starts blocking loads of people on Twitter. <coughs> There's one one good game in a football match, like, and then all of a sudden. He's a hero, and everyone's going on about him like he's like, you know. And, and if you're a player, why wouldn't you yearn for that every week? And is that down? Is that a mentality issue? Does does he not 
do, would a player like that not care? Is it, is it, it's an historical thing with an each beat. It was the same at West Brom. It was the same at Everton. It's just the character he is. But, I mean, it's sad, isn't it, that we're, we're looking at Anichibi and saying he's had that one fantastic game, and that's standing out in, in a season where there's been so little to Because we haven't had a centre-forward in for so long, have we? Nothing well, I mean, we've been seeing for years, and we, we need a centre-forward who can haul the should ball. We, should have signed a player that does that week in, week out. I mean, you know, when was the last time when Darren Bent, I suppose? I mean, going back, Kevin Phillips. I mean, Kevin Jones was probably the last centre-forward we had who could, who, who could haul who the ball and bully defenders, you know, could probably do it week in, It's funny about Jones, I went there, I remember going to... A thing with Jones and Quinn when the season ticket holders were all invited to these talks, and uh, he was talking about why he sold Kenwin Jones, and he said he just couldn't couldn't get the best out of him, no matter what he did, no matter what he tried, he couldn't he couldn't motivate him to do what he wanted him to do, so he got rid of him. It's strange, it's very laid back. just strange, isn't it? Like that, that these things happen. That was right at the start. We uh, and I think we we didn't win a game for. Well, it's, it's interesting months. that, you know, you know how many players buy into the club or buy into the area. Well, I mean, Defoe seems... But Defoe, he's, 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 he's embraced. You, you, still, you still do have that thing, though, don't you, where you let yourself be, not kidded, that certain players that come and, you know, like, look at Corny as a prime example. He's obviously got a social media team running his Twitter and all that. But it doesn't matter because you, you're doing all right and he's saying all these things and you're getting excited about what he's saying and you think he's bought into it and you think he gets it. Darren Bennett, prime example, did the whole, oh, why would I want to go to Fenerbahce? That, that's a ridiculous suggestion. He was in Steve Bruce's office a week before saying, I want to leave. And then he's putting pictures on Twitter. I've got Kevin Phillips' shirt from his cup tie. Oh, God, I want to I want to emulate what Kevin Phillips does. Three months later... He's angling for a move away again, and he's off to Villa for however much money. And Most it, days gone a little bit. Which is ridiculous, but that, that's, the, that's the thing. It's like, but, as right. fans, it's very difficult to connect with the genuine ones because you don't know at what you know. You don't know where it stops, and that's that's where the disconnects like massively. Defoe is genuine. Defoe is genuinely, yeah, yeah, is yeah. genuinely <coughs> someone who cares for the football club. I mean, you, you just tell by his body language, nothing else. Being, being if, you talk, if you talk to Jermaine Defoe, he's just football through and through. He just loves it, and he does love it here. Being would he blunt, stay for being blunt. Do you think he'd stay? He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Because he's, you know, he still thinks he's... You know, he's, so he's, he's 30, 30, he's going to be... He's if he's, he's going to be 35, he's driven he as well by, as a striker, he's driven by his ambitions to score goals. And, you know, he is looking at the Premier League Hall of Fame. He wants his 150 goals. He wants all those. He, he has got targets like that. And he'll still feel he's good enough to play in the Premier League at 35, 36. I mean, he's, it, 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 his physical shape is unbelievable. He's probably the fittest he's been in years. Because he doesn't drink, he just fo- religiously follows these extraordinary diets, um, he, and he does keep himself ex- exceptionally fit. So he will still believe that he's got a, a career at the very top. So I mean, as much as he would, I think there's mo- the emotional connect with him with the club if they went down to stay. He's still driven by the, his ambition to, to score goals in the top flight, and probably How much would can he still do that. Well, the, the thing is, the thing is, you know. Clubs in the Premier League now have got the money to, to pay his wages. I mean, he wouldn't cost anything probably in terms of a fee because of the age he is, but people would be prepared to pay. I mean, he's on £80,000 a week. So clubs are prepared, you know, clubs in the Premier League are easy to be prepared to pay that. There are plenty of clubs I, that will pay I that. I mean, I was going to say a bit, or like being blo- uh, you, you will get examples of this where Defoe, for example, feels his connection with the club. And this will happen occasionally now with a player, and it's just their own individual personality, isn't it? 
But as a whole, across the board, are those days gone being blunt because players earn too much money now? I know it's an easy thing for people to say, isn't it? Do you think there's something in it, though? Well, them days are you gone. Know, you know, your Darius Hall is, is a yeah, perfect example that, because you would have lived in Sunderland when you were playing for Sunderland, yeah? I didn't have a house. You did what? I didn't have a house. You didn't have I a house? I had a tent. In Sunderland? No, no, I'm <laughs> joking. No. no, them days are gone when players would stay at a club for five and six years. You know, you give them two or three years now and they move on. You know, and that's, shall we say, the old picture, really, from a manager's point of view. You know, especially if they want to develop the squad. Um, you know, they give them two or three years and that's it. They move on to somewhere else. So a player staying at a club now, you won't get a player who's going to stay at a club now for, for 10 years. Well, what about just generally, for, even if they were here three years? just Yeah, but the policy, the, the, the structure under Moyes will be, as he did at Everton, is to buy players when they actually can get themselves in a position where they can buy younger players, is to buy a player that in five years' time has got a resale value. That so isn't you, Donald so, Love, so is it? No. Probably. So... Um, so you, you've got a situation where you're, you're, you're buying a player specifically knowing, look, he will be here for three or four years, then we'll get 18, 20 million for him. And it's exactly what you did at Everton. If you, look at, if you look at Everton's squads over the 11 years that he was at, at Goodison Park, every summer the, it was minimal spending and it was minimal tinkering because he basically sold on players or bought in players. And you look at the longevity of players at Everton, they do stay there a long time. Osmonds, Jagielka... Gareth Barry now has come in the last couple of seasons on a free. He'll be there for three or four years. But basically, the, the way the squad's structured, those players will stay at Everton for a long time and then they, they, they sell on the, the gems and, and use that money to buy another player that they can sell on in five years' time. That's what's going to happen with John Stones. And it happened with John, you know, but that's what happened with John Stones. It's going to happen John Pickford, isn't it? Let's be honest. It, but, it's the, but that's what they need. That's what Sunderland are trying to... That's what they'll be looking at now. Your Pickfords, your, well, whoever. You, I mean, Does that make it more surprising that Corner didn't go in the summer then? When you, get, you get like Kone a million go. pound offer. Kone didn't go because Moyes had to make a statement. Yeah. And that was the only reason he didn't go. Because Moyes could have used that 18 million easily. He said, I could use that 18 million and bought in three players, but I had to make a statement that Kone had to stay. I couldn't, be, I couldn't, come into, couldn't walk into a job and suddenly sell your, your prime asset. Now, Pickford, Man United wanted him a year ago. Odds on they'll probably take him in January, if not next summer. Man City, surely, for Pickford, you would have thought. Well, it's Man United, the ones that have been the keenest. So, you know, you know, but you've got a saleable asset, and they'll look at it logically and think, well, we've got Manoni, we can probably get another keeper in, we've got to think about needing money and so on. So that's how it'll work. I think that's a sad thing, isn't it? Because, because we've only ever got, like, <coughs> going back to the original point that Benno made about, you know, lack of quality maybe in, in the squad over however long... We so often only have one or two good players that when we sell that one player, it really is a, a dagger. <coughs> and if we had three or four or five good players, you'd think, oh, well, we've sold that player on and we'll, we'll use that money to replace him. But it feels as though like when we sell our one good player, we want to use that money to rebuild the whole squad almost. And, you know, I, I know it might be an unpopular opinion, but given the way the season's gone so far... I wouldn't be completely adverse to selling Pickford in January just because if we're anywhere near staying up in January, we're going to have to generate money somehow. No, I, no, I think and that's if we go, happen. I think if that, we go I down, if we go down, Pickford will be worth half as much money. No, I think that's he's got to happen. get rid of Corny. Someone will have to be sold. Someone has got to be sold. If he can get 30, 35 think, million for the two, yeah. then he's and I think the difference now compared to the last five or six years 
is the chief executive in place who's been in football for 20 years and understands the market, he understands the people he's dealing with, and it's someone who actually understands what football's all about because the, the way the football club's been run, it's been run by people who've got no finger on the pulse. I mean, they had a secretary in place who was American and was you know, nearly responsible for points deduction at West Bromwich Albion. Ricky Alvarez, the whole thing surrounding his transfer. 10 million well spent. Um, and other issues. So you think if you haven't got people in the, at, at the top of the club who know what they're doing, and inevitably you're going to get the problems that they've had. Now at least they've got a, 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 you know, a chief executive in place who's a football man. You've got David Moyes, love him or hate him or whatever, but he's got a track record. And if you go by the Everton model, proves it works. And at least he's a manager that's come in. It's, you know, you're not taking a gamble on a young manager like Poyet or Paolo Di Canio, um, et cetera, et cetera, where you've actually, they've actually got no track record of ever having achieved anything in the Premier League. So I think the point has come now where people have just got to bite their tongues, ride this out, and, and just think you've got someone in place or a structure in place now, or there will be, that actually can start to build something at the football club rather than building it all on sand, which they've done for the last seven or eight years. Right. Excellent place to go out next. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. To be honest, like, I, I give you credit on the... On the question in front because normally we do these and it's like pulling teeth trying to get people to um, ask good questions on the cards and there's absolutely loads and loads and loads here so well done <laughs> yeah, strap in hope you don't I've have to get take, the train back to Birmingham like those other people now, they're a little bit direct um, what do you mean direct just direct considering it's been recorded rude no no Nick nobody's looking at you like that don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you interested I'm just now? Concerned about Gary, I'm just looking after. Right, the lady was asking him. about Nick. Put a hand up, please. <laughs> Can't see you anyway. The gentleman then. who was asking about Nick. <laughs> right. So what I've tried to do is I've split them out. Who, who I think and and, and, and Benno and Nick um, some, and then some I'll just put to the panel. But we'll go. What's the time now? Do we know? Twenty-two minutes past nine. Twenty-two minutes past nine. So we'll see how long this takes us out. A couple of questions I'm going to put to you straight away, Benno, because I feel like these are questions that get asked by Sunderland fans time and time again, whether it be on the podcast, whether it be the pub, and it's to do with current players we have and positions they might play in. 
so I kind of want to get them ones out of the way first. Right. And I'll ask you, because you were the pro, because okay. we could all you know, go on the podcast and say, well, he can't play in this position because of that, because of that, because of that. At the end of the day, you were the person who got paid I might not to know. play football. It's all, well, about, it's all about opinions, isn't it? Of course it is. Of course it is. But I'm going to start with these two now. Jack Rodwell, could he play centre-half? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I don't think he, I, I don't think he can play centre half. Um, you know, I think he hasn't got that sort of, shall we say, aggression in him. You know, you look at him; he's a, I think he's a good size. You know, he should be able to go from box to box. He should be able to put his foot in. You know, he should be able to win his headers. But he doesn't do that in the middle of the park. So, how is he going to do it at the back? You know, you've got to have a little bit, shall we say, a little bit of steel about you um, if you're going to play sort of centre back. Um, he doesn't show it in the middle of the park. So, for me, I think that it would be a little bit too soft to play centre-back. That's the one question people always talk about, don't they? Can Rodwell play centre-half? Can anybody guess who the other one is? Can somebody play here? I would play him left side of midfield. Um, you know, I, I think... Um, or even if you played him as a wing-back, but still, left side of midfield, I'll play him because I think he's our best attacker forward going forward. What about his pace. Like, because we know that we've a lot of people have said, haven't they? Like, if we play three centre halves and wing backs, he will be ideal for that because his runs are from deep. And mm. um, when he came on, who was it? Was West Brom, wasn't it? West Brom. At he looked like he, he was like a statue. He came on on the, on the left wing and he yeah. didn't look like he knew where to go, did he? And then we then we changed the three to the back. He played wing back and he and he and he scored and he got involved. Do you think positionally he would be okay? Well, if he's coached, that's what he's got to do. That's what he's got. He's got to be coached, and um, hopefully, if he understands the position which, which he's supposed to be playing in, then, yeah, I think he will make a good, shall we say, left-sided midfielder or even a wing-back. Because he's got the pace to do that. You know, he can get behind um, defences and, um, again, times he can pick people out. Nick, Matt from Durham's asked, who's in charge of transfers exactly? Because comments from Moyes recently about Gillibodji and Dong and Love might suggest it's not him. Well, you would want to disassociate yourself, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, there, was, there was a bit of an overlap in the summer because Sam recommended some players to David Moyes. Then Moyes had some players on his radar as well. I think you can sort of guess the players that ra- were on Moyes' radar. Manquillo, Spain, because he was in Spain. So looking at you know, geographically where Moyes has come from, Real Sociedad, Manchester United... McNair, Love, Manquillo have been his signings. Gillibodji, I understand, and Ndong have been on the club's radar for much longer, so I suspect they were inherited so from, whose from, radar from is that? Sam's. So um, before... Who owns this radar? radar. Be, uh, Can we find it was a director the of the radar and before, get rid before of Before the summer, Baines wasn't here and Moyes wasn't here, so who was looking at Ndong, for example, last season? But that, that, that would have been Sam. But now the... Moyes is in. He's in. He. It's him, basically, is in charge now as manager. Because that was the other. This whole thing about head coach managers. You know, the, since Dick Advocate came, Dick Advocate came in, and Sam came in. They all insisted on being in overall control of everything. So Dick, Sam, David Moyes are the ones that have. They're the ones having the say now on who comes in and who goes out. So about there's no, there's no Lee Conkerton figure. There's no, um, you know, there's none of that head coach and director of football. A few people are asking about Umvilla. 
What's the situation? The situation is, in the summer, Ruben Kazan refused to sell him, uh, refused to let him go for less than £7 million. £7 million, Euros, whatever it was. Um, they insisted on, on that fee, regardless of the fact that his contract's up in January. How Sunday, much should that matter? If you're getting a player who's worth, clearly worth... Well, it mattered because, they didn't, quid, because Sunderland didn't have, they didn't have seven million euros well, the side and or pounds. To, well, they haven't yeah, but, but to be fair... Because they haven't paid for it. But Ruben wanted the money up front. Tell now, people the, about The, 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 the intricacies of these deals are <laughs> that they couldn't pay Do you want this Ruben director Kazan of football job at Sunderland <laughs> or something like that? Seven, seven million... Seven pence, let alone seven million. So there was no way that they could entertain signing... And Via in the summer, apart from offering a million for him, which Ruben Kazan weren't even contemplating, just weren't interested. So they've got this pre-contract agreement, which again, is, it's, it's, it's a piece of paper which means nothing, because there's nothing to stop him signing for anybody else. In, in legal terms, it's got no, there, there, there's no, nothing behind it. It's just, a, it's just an, a, a gentleman's agreement, and that's it, nothing more. So he... he the, fear, the worry is now. What, 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 what was the reaction of the club? Do you know what, how the club felt or th- were thinking, what on earth did this guy do when he did a little bit of a Odom Wingy and flew no into idea. London? I mean, but that, they didn't know anything about that. that. I mean, that took. Martin Bain was actually out the country dealing with Ndong. So he knew nothing about um, that day or just the days. But anyway, it's all got a bit sort of. Um, it's almost a red herring whether. You know that Mvia coming. That was just that was just Mvia being Mvia. Um, the bottom line in terms of getting the player is the fear in January. His wages alone are probably at the moment way beyond anything that Sunderland can afford, unless they do the wheeling and dealing in January and they they get money in the bank and then they can go back to Ruben Kazan and and take the player because they can then afford his wages. What we should try and do is sign another right back. Play him in Sentiment Field. And still see Billy Bring Jones him on with five minutes to go in Sentiment Field. That's what we should do. Or sign <laughs> more right-backs than Billy Jones will still get his place. <laughs> that just sums everything up, does it? Benno, you mentioned earlier that Sunderland fans like players who offer passion and, and give 100%. And somebody's asking here, he doesn't, he doesn't put a name on, it's a good question. Do you think sometimes that is a hindrance in that we're a bit sort of short-sighted in what we're looking for for a player? It is in times, but you've got to remember the position what we're in. I think sometimes, well, over the last four or five years, we've been in positions where you need players who hopefully um, have got that sort of spirit in them and can battle and get you out of where you are. Um, and you look back over the last four or five years, we've had them players to get us out of the position which we've been in. We should be looking at better players than that <coughs> in regards of shall we say, we've been asking for a, a creative midfield player for the last four or five years. Somebody who can actually get on the ball and make things happen. You know, I think we was linked with um, Dembele, who is at top. That goes back to De Canio, doesn't it? It goes, well, can, it goes can you back remember to the beginning of time. No, but can you remember De Canio saying, he, what was it, he said something about the player with the keys or something? Key, man with the keys. Yeah. We were but saying Borough was, was lined up from Seville in the summer, but that fell through because... Because in fact, the Seville, the Seville, because the Seville, that's what happened. Well, the Seville chain, everything the end, falls through. Plug, but yeah, bit and of then we get on Love and Panic McNair. You know, that's that's how it works. Again, we, you know, we've been looking for that sort of 
midfield player who can get on the ball and make things happen, you know, slow things down, pick a pass. We're still looking for that player. Um, the thing is, though, you know, well, you, you do all the, fo- the phone-ins and all that, mm. and you get people ring up, something fan go, what we need is a player who can, you know, see the game, you know, put the foot on the ball, play a killer pass, chip them in the goal, and it's like, well, two Was million, it rang up? three million, seven million, ten million, and you're just ticking... So the player that gets described that everybody wants costs about twenty nine million pounds, and we haven't got that much money to spend Not on really. it. I think if you've got, um, you know, we go back to the recruitment. Our recruitment at the football club is poor. That's you know, that's you know, doing uh, a yeah. You, that, well, that's you know, a nice way to describe it, isn't it? Well, nice. they, I just think it's, 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 it's complicated, though. It's not really complicated. I think no, it is complicated. How is it complicated? Well, you've got you've got a situation. You, you can't. So when we talked about getting lucky in the transfer window for for Aldice, I think that's a prime example of that. Where you're looking at the championship now, and we are talking about people. This is a side note. I wonder if anybody's brought it up in the in the questions. I'm sure they have about going down and rebuilding, and we'll just do this, and it'll all be fine. Chris Martin signed for Fulham for nine million pounds. You've got Ross McCormack sitting on the bench at Derby, and he costs about twelve million quid. You know. Where are they? And they're playing in the championship. So where are you going to find these players who can do all the things we want them to do for the amount of money that we can afford to spend on them? And they don't exist. These the, the twenty million goal, the twenty goal striker a season myth that's been peddled for Ross how Noble. many years? Ross Noble, Ryan Noble, Ryan Noble. Ross Noble's a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sh- shows how memorable he was, doesn't yeah. it? But yeah, but the twenty the twenty goal a season striker. Which had been everyone's got. We need a twenty goal a season strike. I well, about five. Of, you get five of them every, you know, five years because if you look at it, even people like Drogba and stuff like that, when they were Premier League top scorers for a period, were getting sixteen, seventeen, eighteen goals. So it's a it's a rarity. It's not it's not a common thing that loads of people can get access to. Loads of teams have access to. Not every team has a, and that that that's an irritation when you when people say, well, without without Defoe, well, there'd be. They'd be stuffed. Well, yeah, we would be. But if we didn't have that play, you'd be saying we need to go and get one. Then we get one, and that's not enough. So, you know, it's it's just it's a lot of it's rhetoric. I just, I just think like you know, it's all very well saying we need to get these players and that play. That's great. It's but identifying not just players, isn't it? Well, that's it, what it is. Absolutely. It's identifying players, and, and, and you know, you don't need to go and play you know ten, twenty million. You know, if if you look around, you know, we've gone away from you know local talent. We've got to, we've gone away from looking at players who play in the championship. Who, if you can blend them in, you know you can get a good player. You know, you I, look I at, agree. You, but you look if, at if, there's that, a player, if there's a player that's worth in the market who nobody knows you, about, perceived. Who's going to put a 20, price? What, what price grade. are you going to put on a player? You think that if you spend twenty million pound on a player, he's going to be good? Well, you'd well, you'd hope so, wouldn't no, you? No, yes, no. not. Well, <laughs> But this why, is but no but, but no but this is this is what I'm talking about and the thing is you, the player who costs four million quid who right. has all the attributes of a player that we'd all associate with a player who costs twenty five million quid mm-hmm. there's thirty or forty teams in the queue. Mm-hmm. But you also you also get the same situation them. that happened at Leicester mm-hmm. where That's Leicester's chief scout. About. Yeah, but Leicester, the reason Leicester was so unbelievable is because it doesn't happen every year. No, but what no, happened? But, but, but <laughs> the point I was going to make is that what happened at Leicester. It's then what happened with the players. Well, the clappers, the, wasn't the it? That's chief, what did it. The chief, 
the chief scout at Leicester, who brings in Kante and brings in Ajoa yeah. and brings in all those players, where's he now? He's he gone to Everton. Everton. He's gone to Everton. Yeah. So the same thing happens to the chief scout. You get a successful chief scout. It's what happen with the players. As soon as you get somebody who actually can identify very, very good players for a pittance, brings them to somewhere like Leicester, Leicester win the Premier League, all of a sudden it's the chief scout everyone wants to buy. And he goes to Everton, of all clubs. But they're trying to say Kone. So, you know, it, and then they try and sign Kone. Then, you know, on the if, back Sunderland, of six if months. Sunderland find the magic formula, they get a, a chief scout in who actually finds these fantastic players wherever... Suddenly, he's gone a year later. We've heard this all before, though, the, the whole Graham Carr, you know, Graham Carr, Graham Carr knows this, Graham Carr knows that, European Yeah, but didn't do so bad with Sissoko, did well, he? Well, this is it, though, isn't it? It's, like, it's all, it's all a microcosm of, 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 of things, you know. It's like, oh, well, for six months, this is good, so we should all do this. And then in six months' time, it's out of date, and we shouldn't be doing that. The problem is with Sunderland, the, six, the thing that was good for six months, 18 months ago, we finally get there, and then... Then it's it's a, it's it's very very bad, and we we have to recover and go back over. We try everything to try and make it work, and it never works. But why follow suit? But I, I, well, I would agree with you. But there's a lot of pressure to follow suit, isn't why? there? Well, don't ask me. I mean, I, I haven't got the answer. So no, you know, you look at Jordan Pickford now. Jordan Pickford would not have got his opportunity if Manoni was fit. <coughs> Right, so you'd have been sat with a keeper there, who's got the ability to play, but he wouldn't. Most probably in a year, two years' time, he might have lost his way. You know, and again, you go back to why can't we give an opportunity to some of these young players? You know, we keep talking about our under twenty ones, our <coughs> under twenty threes, how well they've done, they've won the league and whatever. Where are they? But then they play in a game against Notts County, for example, or Shrewsbury, or whoever it is, and it's a it's we're a not, We're not saying struggle. play the old eleven of him, but you can bring one or two of them in. Yeah, but is there an issue we, there? We've but seen all, that, I mean, it seems like a good because this question gets asked all the time anyway, so I might as well see it now on the under twenty three. Is, is there a real issue with the standard of football they play? Yeah, because when you played, you were playing against uh, you were playing against. Probably somebody who was, was who, who was 35, who'd been an international player, but wasn't good enough to get the first team anymore. But you play against him at like 17 or something. Correct. I think it was, again, I don't know if you've seen the game on Wednesday. Did you see the game on Wednesday? No. No. Um, you know, the 23... Did anybody see the game on Wednesday? Well, there's about 300 <laughs> there, but still. Um, the two centre-backs who, who played um, for Sunderland, they played against a lad called Alan Smith, and he led the line. You know, and, and most probably... They haven't come against somebody like him. You know, he's not the biggest, but he was strong. Alan, the way he, Alan Smith. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, he was strong, his movement, he held the ball up. They found it very difficult to play against him. Now, you look at 20, well, 23s, we call it now, the 23s. It's all tippy-tappy football. And majority of these players who are playing against each other have been playing against each other since they were nine. Against nine, you know, the mates... You know, so they've been playing against each other, so they've not been tested. You know, they've not come up against people who've got that experience, who let them know that they're in the game, the communication. You know, now I think I can even play at a 23 level because it's so slow. There's no pace to the game. There's no reality to the game. So I just get through it. That's it. But when, that must have been... a a factor in the Moyes appointment as well that he brings young players through because we've 
we've seen more at least play this season, haven't we? In, in comparison, I don't, I don't know if that was a factor because I think the factor in Moyes' appointment was just something that Ellis Short had wanted because he'd seen his track record in the past, so he'd made those overtures three times or whatever it was to get him. I don't think I don't think that ever has come across Ellis Short's mind that he's looking to appoint a manager who's going to do this for the under 23s, he's going to do this with whoever the under well, that, 18s, that he's going to do this volume, for the academy. That speaks I think it's more to do what he 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 was thinking in terms of I want a manager that will keep us in the Premier League and will you know bring us some success because I don't think Ellis Short would have thought about the appointment in, in as many terms as that. No, I mean, but, that, but, that, no, that but will be addressed. That will almost get full at Martin Baines' door. What, yeah, but what you exactly? So what you mentioned is before that we we don't bring players through who we can sell on. So we sign players at the wrong end, wrong stage of their career, and make a loss on them. So surely when they're thinking about bringing a new manager, they would think, right, who brings young profitable he, he players? Will have, he will have known what Moyes has done at Everton. They've done some homework there, but I think he, that's probably as far as it goes. As I say, I think that what he's looked for is a, is a chief executive who will take on the running of the club and, and get all that ship shape and the finance and, in order um, and, and leave the football side entirely to David Moyes. Not thinking about the development of the under-23s or what David Moyes wants to do the academy or how he wants to bring younger players through. Somebody's asking if you think Ellis Short is actively trying to sell up. Well, he is, yeah. Actively, though. Uh, yeah, Basically, I mean, it, it, it's. I think the, the the moves he's making financially, the moves he's made in the summer, the overtures he's made to the Chinese, it's it, it's all part of the process of trying to sell the club. Tell us about the Chinese. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, I, I have some sympathy with him. I mean, I think you know, the, you go back over the years. He's been all right, Alice. Has he? It, it, you, you, you have to say he's he's, right. he's pumped he's money back in. Managers, hasn't he? And and. And he's been, you know, he's had his fingers burned in doing so. And that's why he's now, I think, disillusioned, disenchanted, doesn't really want it, but doesn't want to sell it down the river. He just, you know, he wants to try and make it ship shape, if you like, no pun intended. So he, he will want to, to make sure that what he's invested in it, he, he gets back. But also there's an emotional investment in the club that hopefully will take it forward. But I think it's come to the point where... He, He's, he's done with throwing money at it. He wants to try and rein in the debt, which has gone, it's been hemorrhaging money over the last two or three years, um, and make it palatable to someone to buy it. I mean, the, the, you know, he's as, probably as aware as anyone that if Sunderland go down, they're less attractive and he will lose money on it if he does manage to sell it. Because basically, any investors now, and the Chinese especially, what they want is to buy a Premier League club because that's where the money is. So by hook or by crook, you think, you know, will he throw money at in January? But he's clearly not going to do that. But his, his business is dealing in companies that go bust. That's what he does. I mean, it, it, how he's made his billions is basically buying companies that, that have gone down the pan. He, That's he, the irony, he turns them it? around. I oh, know it is, isn't it, Justin? Well, karma, um, isn't it? So, you know, at some point... Sunderland won't be an attractive to an investor until they start winning a few games. They look like the investor might get some money back from being in the Premier if, League. Just as curious, because we're in Manchester, it's relevant. Would you, would people in here take a Manchester City situation? And yes. yes. Just That's never been a question. No. <laughs> it's no, never been a question, has it? <laughs> no, so, so I always think it's an as interesting one Perry. where... Well, so uh, you get a situation now, and, and there might be a variety of reasons why you know Manchester City say, and I wouldn't be one to criticise whatever 
for not selling out Champions League games or, or whatever. But I just think it's an interesting one where I, I think there's quite a lot of parallels between like team like Sunderland and Man City. Um, and well, the yeah, yeah, so over the years, the over the historically, yeah. I think before you know, Man City were t- yeah. taken over, and and, yeah. and I, I do think there is and the, the all parallels. Would agree with that, wouldn't I? Just feel as though, like going back to when we're talking about the first half about the expectations of Sunderland supporters and what we we hope to see on the pitch and. Just wonder, like whether or not this, how yeah, we'd enjoy the success initially, and you know you'd love to win the Premier League and all that kind of thing. But would you not feel as though that we not bought it a little bit or cheated it a little bit? It's obviously you've got to win the games and you've got the money to spend on the players like Man City have. But I just to me, it just seems like there seems like a little bit of disenchantment there. Where yeah, obviously on one level they are delighted that it's happening. And it's great. But at the same time, you know, there's booing the Champions League anthem and, and all that kind of thing. And it's almost like they're going, not that it's not what they signed up for, but you want to win it, but you want to win it honourably. And it, it feels like there's a, not dishon, dishonourably, that's a wrong word, but, you know, does it, it's all about, we're talking about all the time, about, is this person the right fit for Sunderland? Is David Moyes the right fit for Sunderland? So do you Are these people the right fit? Win the league? No, they've won the league twice. No, so I'm just saying, do you think they'll win it this year? This year, they've got an opportunity to win it, haven't they? They've well, got a good chance. Got opportunity. Sunderland oh, sorry. I'm just going back to the money issue, what you're talking about. No, but the money, it, what the point got, is, it helps. On. I know it helps, but yeah. do you think they'll win the league? Oh. Chelsea, I, I, I think Chelsea have got a good, good chance of, think, well, of winning the league. But... This, but yeah, but no. But if you look at, Ch- I think you know we talk about managers. You know, I think they sort of represent what the f- their team t- team are. And you look at Conte, who's on the touchline. You know, and you know for the ninety minutes he's on the touchline, he's very active. He's up and down, and he's got that sort of spirit, which is, I think, he's rubbed off onto his players. He's got. And Victor Moses playing wing back. I watched um, Chelsea against Everton, and all of a sudden Costa is a yard quicker. You know, and you look at the players now, and winning games obviously breeds confidence. But all of a sudden, you're talking about a team last season which struggled big time. All of a sudden, this <coughs> season, which you've seen against Everton, they look as though they can go on and win, win the league. And that's what I'm talking about in regards of. Man management, and that, that leads us on to a question we have here about about the influence uh, maybe the managerial staff have on players. And a couple of pe- <laughs> a couple of people have mentioned about uh, about gosh. about Paul Bracewell. And, and, uh, and uh, did Nick say that? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, honestly, we've had a couple of a couple of people asking, and they, and they asked because because, because Moyes and Allardyce, for example, have went and they've managed clubs and they've brought in their own people. Mm-hmm. In both cases, they've stuck with Bracewell, they've stuck with Stockdale, Phil Wilson, I think it is, or Paul, sorry, handwriting, Phil Paul, um, have have asked the question, saying that when the manager goes up, Allardyce and Moyes now to speak to one of their coaches about what's happened on the field, it seems to be Stockdale that they go and speak to, and people ask him what you think about the backroom staff and, and Bracewell in particular. You played, played with Paul as well. Hmm. And? 
People are just asking your no. opinion on that. Well, put it out there. What do you think of Paul Bracewell, anybody? A very good player, um, a good professional. Um, Brace, Paul Bracewell is, is what you see. That's how he is. He, he keeps a lot of things to himself. You know, um, He's not one of them who will be jumping around and shouting and in, into the manager's ear. That's how he is, you know, and that's how he was as a, as a player. Um, again, maybe you, know, you want, would want to see a lot more from Paul especially, you know, his expressions or whatever. He, when you want to be inspired up. by somebody. Well, that's right. But he's not going to do that. You know, Paul has always been the same since, you know, obviously um, playing. He was always the same with um, young players or any other player who, who was in the changing rooms or on the pitch. You know, he did, he did the right things. And if anybody else around there didn't do the right things, like he would tell them, you know, in a nice way. But, you know, at the end of the day... You know, he'd be saying, well, I've won the league. You know, I've played for England. I've done this. So he had all that to, to back up what he was talking about. He, you know, he had the right things. You know, that, that, that was Paul. You know, but he was one of them. A lot of people don't like him. Because that's, that's how he's... But it, it doesn't bother him one bit. But that's him as a person. Yeah, I've heard stories. Um... <laughs> Rob Stockdale Law seems to be highly rated on a positive, doesn't he? Yeah, he is. He's a very good coach. Um, Moyes thinks he is as well. He's given him the under-23s. He's been the on the Into the Light show before as well. <laughs> um, yeah, he's bright. Um, he's ambitious. He seems to, to get on with the players. Um, and I think it's great that you know, you've got a young English coach that's trying to make a name for himself. And you just hope that you know, down the line... That it does work for him because I think you know that's I think you, you look we were at Bournemouth at the weekend and, and both times we've been there Benno and I have looked at Bournemouth as a football club you think you know in a way epitomises everything you want of a football club it, it's it's got a connection with the community um, it's incredibly friendly when you're there I know it's not very big but they've got a young ambitious coach 38 years old who seems to be getting wonders out the players that he's buying he's, he's got players that have come through from League 2, his players that, that, that played against Sunderland that were playing when Bournemouth had 17 points deducted at the bottom of the Football League mm. um, and in a, in a lot of ways Bournemouth is the epitome of a, a football club in the Premier League that can, that can be run financially um, successfully and hold its own when they're working with crowds of 11,000 and working within their means. I mean, it can be done. Well, let's be honest. They've got a £9 million striker on the bench. They've got a £7 million right back on yeah, the bench. But, but the, they've that's got the Jack point Wilshire on loan. But you're missing yeah, the point but, I'm making. No, the point no, I'm no, making no, is that that club how, how has been run properly. It's been run properly from it's the top it's through to the it? bottom. They've but, managed their resources. But they're at, they're at the, the entry point. That's... Sunderland are at the exit point, and that's a difference. But it's that's but that, what no. I'm saying is they're the model. They're, they're one of the clubs you'd look at and say, well, what, yeah. what, Swansea what did they do? Swansea was a model, what, six months ago, and now they're but one of the worst teams in the But you've got to have a I model mean, somewhere. You can't flounder around but they, and but say... But what I'm talking about is it's, all, it's only relative in that, in that short space of time that everyone should, or everyone should do what Southampton do, everyone do what Swansea do, because they were doing well and winning games. Now Swansea are arguably worse than us. And every... Should we? So they or should they follow the Sunderland model? They get one place at the table potentially. No, no, so Do you know what I mean? It, it, I, I'm being facetious, but 
But you've got, to have, you've got to have some sort of template because Sunderland's template at the minute is yeah, just a disaster, one. isn't it? There isn't one. Yeah, I've got a template. So you've got to look at someone. You've got to start picking off ideas from other clubs. You've got to start looking at successful football clubs and how they've been able to afford on 11,000 a week people in through the gate a £9 million striker on the bench. Because they've got a coconut water sponsor in it. You know, this is the thing. Rolex sponsor for the players and all this. This is how, this is how you manufacture the, the situations where you can afford to spend this money. It's all about being clever. The, you, the, the money you can spend on players is all about trying to manufacture ex, extra little bits and bobs where you can that could fall outside of the regulations. But now's the time for Sunderland to address that. Do, but this they, is the but point. They, we're, at the a, we're at the crossroads but, now. But where we spent, got we to spent, like, go back to the original point, we spent so much money on all these players and wages over the years and got nothing back for it on the pitch. And now we're suffering and we're clawing, we're clawing back. It's yeah, all about but addressing But it. you're looking to rebuild. You're looking to start now at a, a, a point where you've got to put that behind you and you've got to start looking at the future, start looking at how other clubs are doing it, start looking at where you can start to afford players that will take the quality of the squad up. You've got to, you can't just sit back and say, well, you know, we can't follow that model, can't follow that model because look where they are now. You've got to have some sort of structure and plan in place. But then Benno was saying earlier about, you know, why do we have to do what other people are doing? Why don't we do what we want to do? So what, what are we doing then? Well, that's what Martin Baines got to address. <laughs> what now, are we doing there? Well, put it this way: you look at um, the recruitment at, at Bournemouth; it's been excellent. You but know, they've the got a nine million pound striker who can't get in the team. And, but, but it's how they've managed it. It's how they've managed the club. You know, they've got a player in there with Callum Wilson who they brought in, which, which was next to nothing. They've got another player, um, Stanislav, who's next to ne- nothing. They've got another player, King. You know, but as Nick just said, they've got two or three players who's come right throughout the divisions. So they haven't really, once they went in the Premier League, they didn't start spending money all over the place or building on top of what they've got and making it into a 20,000-seater 20, stadium. We've got, they could do with 20,000-seater stadium, couldn't they? Bournemouth. Why? Because... Why? Well, well, sorry, I don't know. I, I just said that as a throwaway comment. I didn't expect. <laughs> I didn't expect you like. I didn't expect you to like pull us up on it, but no. Um, but uh, but <laughs> that, that, that's where we're going back to. Is like Sunderland. All of a sudden, we've lost our way. You know, all of a sudden, oh, we're a massive club. We can do concerts here. We can do this. We can have three three kits. <laughs> you know, I'm just using that as an example. All of a sudden, I just think we've just lost our way. You know, we had this sort of bond with the supporters. <clears throat> You know, the, bo- the supporters are over there, the players are over there. There's a massive gap in between. But that's the same, that's the same across the board. No, no, what? I'm just saying, but why have we got, why is that gap so big? Because everything's managed, the players are managed, it's press officers. Well, that's well, just, that, but you just use manage, that's it, managing the club. So we have, just getting back because we've got like 10 minutes or so, and <laughs> the questions, we've got loads, and I really appreciate all the questions you have. This is like the opposite problem to what we normally have because. These are really good. So Can't write back I'm, I'm at conscious all, of, like, yeah. of what we have left. So a couple of directed at Benno, which I think people would like to hear. So I will, I'll, I'll get on to them now. Um, Benno, naturally, most naturally gifted player you've ever played with was it Kieran Brady? Kieran, uh, he was excellent. Um, you know, it's uh, a shame that he had to cut his career short. Great ability. Um, I think whoever seen him play against West Ham would know what he could have gone on and achieved, but unfortunately... Um, Does some of the younger people know about that game, West Ham, where Sunderland won 4-3? Yeah. 
No, oh, there's shaking of heads. That makes me feel really old. Yeah. Make you, like you were playing. <laughs> I, I was, was playing. I was keep watching Ben on. You were playing. <coughs> uh, it was well, a favourite. We beat West Ham 4-3, wasn't it? And he scored did. two and he set two up. And It's a famous game. The oldest Sunderland fans, if you ask them. Yeah, he, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was an exciting player. You know, he's one of the players, if you know, you give him the ball, he would make things happen. You know, he's a out-and-out winger, great left peg. Um, you know, but we haven't got that now. You know, but I think he was the most exciting player we had at a football club. The best? Who? Anybody the else? The best? Anybody else close who you played with at Sunderland? Myself. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, for me, Sean Elliott was good. He, he was excellent for me when I first went to the club. Uh, made me settle in very good. Um, exciting. Gabbers was exciting. Um, Eric Gates was clever, good footballer. Um, I think he made um, Marco Gabardini. Um, but again, you know, as a team, you know, we had a good mixture. Mixture then, you know, we had one or two young players who was coming through at the time, the likes of um, Gordon Armstrong and your Gary Hours, who who had the legs who could cover the ground. Um, but. Yeah, again, you know, you look at John Byrne, you know, when he came to the football club, he did very well as well. He did. Not a fair cup final run, I'll, I'll always remember that as an 11-year-old. Him scoring every round. Somebody's asked who the best and worst managers he played for. Best and worst. And, and the reasons why. <laughs> I always, they always ask me the, uh, that, that question regarding um, the worst manager. The worst manager is the one who didn't select me to start the game, you know. I used to call him left, right and centre, but... No, I think narrow down to one, Benno. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No. Um, Danny Smith was successful. Um, believe it or not, I got on quite well with Laurie McMenemy um, when he came to the football club. And I, was all, I, was, I was hoping there was going to be a boo there. No, that, funny enough, you know, you, you get a lot of supporters who boo about Laurie McMenemy when he came to the football club, but at the time, everybody wanted him at the football oh, club. Oh, God, yeah. Everybody yeah. wanted it was a massive thing. At the it was, time, a, it was it? a ma- yeah. massive pull to get him there. Unfortunately, it just didn't work out for him. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. A bit like yeah. Martin O'Neill and Dick Advocat and all yeah. these other managers. Everyone. Yeah. What about the worst? Come on, you avoided that question. You dodged it. There. The worst. We'll, we'll edit it out if you want. Terry Butcher. No, I'm not going to do that. Terry Butcher. Yeah. You're best mates with him now, though. Yeah, you? I'm good friends with him now, but I think he was the worst. Because he bought you a biscuit at Norwich. <laughs> it just didn't work for him. It just didn't work. The worst. Certainly just didn't. generally. Like, I was, just, it, was a story true about before the new. Kevin Ball tells a story at the Derby at St. James's, and he came in and he had a skinhead, and he said, We're going to go and. I've had a skinhead because we're going to be like Marines. Marines and we're going to go in, and get the result and get out. Like, yes, correct. And again, he treated one of. One of my mates who was at the football club um, very badly as well, a lad called um, Rogan, Anton Rogan. You know, um, good lad, played fullback or centre back, but unfortunately, religion came into it. And, um, was that what it was? Because the Rangers. And um, he was elbowed. Because Anton Rogan played for Selig and Correct. And he, he, he never kicked right another ball for Sunderland. Blimey. He, got, he was um, told to go and train with the kids. That's how bad it was. Good oh, Right, uh, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. People are asking uh-huh. you, Gary, as well. Talk about your debut first home game for Sunderland. 
Oh, Debbie, well, again, obviously, um, signing for Sunderland, you know, you concentrate on breaking into the first team. You know, hopefully you get selected for the first game that happened. We had, I think it's four or five new signings that day um, playing. I think the likes of myself. Was this about 84? 84, Clive Walker, Roger Wilde. I think um, Peter Daniels played. And then after, you know, after a couple of minutes, you know, you, you get on the score sheet. So it was a tremendous start for me. You know, and uh, hopefully I never look back since then. This is one that I'm guessing all the fans would know as well because, you know, the younger fans didn't know what we were talking about earlier on, which, like, mortified me. But uh, the older fans will know all about this question. Your relationship with David Speedy. <laughs> My relationship with David shall Speedy. We give, shall we give it a backdrop to the younger fans? <laughs> There's footage on YouTube. Sunderland played... Coventry in the League Cup, wasn't it? No, yeah. It was the League Cup. Uh, no, it was Coventry in the League Cup. And um, David Speedy, it was a, it was a decent play, play for Liverpool and other teams like that, didn't he? A good centre forward. And Tim and Gary both got sent off because they got into a little bit of a scuffle that went on into the main stand at Roger Park. Clock stand. Whoa. Clock stand. <laughs> Gary, take over. Yeah, it went on in, in, into the clock stand. But again... That's what we're talking about. Them days, you could tackle. You could. Um, that was more than a tackle. Though, <laughs> <laughs> Tell everybody what happened. Start, start, from your point of view, from your point of view, let's let's start from the beginning. What happened? No, as I say, he's one of them players who he wound went. You he, up. he wound me up. Yes, he was one of them. He was only about five foot nine, ginger, and I'm not, I haven't got a thing against ginger. <laughs> Red redheaded people, by the way. <laughs> But um, no, he's one of them. He was he, he was a pest, really. Um, you know, he was run run all over the place, and we used to kick lumps of shit out of each other. And um, it was a thing which was an ongoing thing between me and him until we played Chelsea. We beat him in the cup, and then we played him away, um, and we won again. And Clive Walker scored a couple of goals at Stamford Bridge. So this was an ongoing thing which was going on. And I just come back from injury. Um, it was a night game. We played Coventry, and um, he went over the top on me um, on the ball, and then I just lost it, and I grabbed hold of him and tried to beat the living daylights out of him in the <laughs> clock stand, and uh, it was just an ongoing thing. From and a there. sensible thing for the referee to do is, is send people off and send them off together <laughs> down the yes, tunnel together. Yes, and uh, yes, yeah, so I was hoping to finish it off down the tunnel, but he didn't obviously finish off there. Why did he did he shy away? He shied away. (laughs) (laughs) And um, something we were talking about before we came on, actually amongst ourselves, or actually, well, somebody came and asked you about it. Something I'm sure you get asked about a lot: a winning goal scored against Man United, which actually my first season. Like, my dad used to take me to games like the mid '80s when Dennis Smith and all that stuff, um, and I can't remember a lot of it. The first full season I had as 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 a fan, what I can remember was after Italian '90 when we were back at Division 1, the Premier League now, and Man U was quite early in the season, so that's one of my earliest memories, actually, supporting Sunderland when he scored a winning goal against Man United. Well, it's everybody's dream, and, it, you know, a young lad, you know, growing up. Sporting Man City. Sporting Manchester City, but again, you know, when, when the fixtures come out, you always look forward to the Manchester City games, and Man United, your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's. You know, your Arsenal's and that. And, you know, the night before, it's like I'm like everybody else. You know, you have this sort of dream, thinking that you've scored the winning goal. And, you know, 
in the 89th minute and um, that's something which happened to me you know they just signed um, Gary Pallister for I think it was about 2.2 million from Middlesbrough can you remember the kit man you wore that day anybody that was that horrible yeah, mingan yeah like the blue horrible mingan thing wasn't it Brian McClare scored for them didn't he yes he did indeed and uh, I said it for some unknown reason I was up in the field again, out of position. That's, I was say, was a, <laughs> that's nothing you got, new. You did get a bit tight, didn't you, on the half line? You yes. got spanned, didn't you? So, it's a bit like Gilabodji, sort of, tight defending, getting too tight. <laughs> and He's laughing now. He what was that? Smashed Go on, say that again, Gareth. Actually, it was a bit Gilabodji-esque, wasn't it? He went too when? tight, got, got into him and got spun. And, uh, Who did? You did against my United in that game. What are you looking at me for? I haven't got a clue what he's talking about. Sorry, so right, forget it. We'll move he's on. Talking about the he's going talking on. about Benno's goal. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? Tell me in here. Jilly Bodgy, I got tight to somebody. <laughs> Don't matter. Doesn't matter. Forget it. <laughs> we'll sort it out after. <laughs> I think this is one for Moss side later. Uh, you've, just, <laughs> you've just ruined can, Benno's talk. He's got a winning goal against Man New in the top division. I'll get me on back later That's what I do, though. I take people down a peg or two, don't I? That's okay. my thing. I'll take you down a peg or two <laughs> later on tonight. Don't you worry about that. Huh? Nick, a couple of quick direct questions for you as well. Hutch is ask, uh, sorry, Mrs. Hutch is asking, what's your felt tip of preference? Statler. There you are. That's the direct answer. Does that mean whatever that means to anybody? Yeah. And somebody is pointing out what we said as well backstage, the disappointment you're not wearing tweed tonight. I've been, at a rugby, I've been at a rugby match this afternoon, so I was dressed for warmth. Where tweed is banned, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just didn't fancy it today. I didn't fancy it. I've never, ever, ever seen you not wear tweed. I have in, in the summer he wears um, Linen. linens. Yeah. Linens in the summer, tweed in the winter. I'm not joking. This is like a no, real it's true, it's true, thing. It's, it's a true, true thing. It is true. Yeah. As, as I said before, there's nothing wrong with him. It, it's just, you know, the way he is. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm not coming to my side, will you? <laughs> was there ever a player, Ben, or you played with who the players thought was just nowhere, nowhere near good enough? And what was he doing? Oh, yeah, the few of them. Go on, name, name a couple, and then that's us done, I think. Um... Because yeah. people always say best and worst players you played with, and they always shy off saying the worst ones, don't they? Um, played for Sunderland for years, didn't he? He'll have a list. <laughs> I, didn't play, I didn't play with Milton Nunes, but I heard a lot about him. Um, huh? <laughs> Was he? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, Steve Heskey, yes. He's number one, by the way. <laughs> See, even I haven't heard that name. When did he? Yeah. Tell us about, about him. I don't he, know. He, that we name. signed him from Blackpool, I think. He's a big lad who's about six foot four, six foot five. He was a donkey. <laughs> I must admit, he, he, he was poor, you know. But, um, you know, when, when you talk about players and characters, you know, I, I think a lot of them have gone out of the game now. Um, and we, we, we signed a player on loan for three months. And no matter who you talk to, in the football industry, they'll always come up with this name, and his name was Billy Whitehurst. Yeah. And if you didn't know Billy, he was built like a brick shit house. And he came, he came to Sunderland unknown, and um, become very friendly with me in regards of he used to ring me up at two, three o'clock in the morning, singing down the phone. Ah! <laughs> you can sing as much as you want, Billy. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't complain. And we were going to play Hull. 
on the Saturday. So as you do, um, he left Sunderland, went back to Hull, and he, he rang us up to find out what the team was. So he said, oh, is, is, is Monty playing? I said, oh, yeah. Well, Monty, his name is John MacPhail. Now, John loved himself. You know, his hair was always greased back. His shorts was always rolled up. He had a tan. He was darker than me. <laughs> <coughs> he loved himself, John. So he said, is Monty playing? I said, ah, yeah. He said, I'm going to do him tomorrow. I said, I said, Billy, if you want, you can do him. <laughs> so we lined up. And at them days, the ball used to roll back to the midfield player. The centre forward used to be t- on the touchline. The ball used to be played left to right onto the touchline. The centre forward used to come in, crashing and flick it on. And the other striker used to gamble. Whole kickoff, back to the midfield player. Ball came over. Billy went up, smack. Elbowed me in the eye. Give me five stitches underneath my eye. I went, the bastard, I thought he was my friend. <laughs> After the game, I've gone up, my eyes weeping, gone up into the players' lounge. I went, Billy, what the fuck are you doing, man? You've gone up and you give me five stitches. He said, I thought you was John McPhail. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to go. Look, lads and lasses, Nick, I mean, me and Gareth, like, you know, we... we we can't believe that we're doing all this stuff, but we appreciate Benno and Nick coming down and give us a hand. So if you could show your appreciation for those two. <laughs> if Benno's going to take me and get a friend must side, I can't fucking wait. Come on. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.